between the words spoken and the words that are heard, may the Spirit of God be present. Amen. I hope you heard those words tonight from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. I hope they're familiar to you. You've heard them before. That most famous telling of the birth of Jesus. I, that was the first passage of Scripture I ever memorized. And I memorized it as a six-year-old, dressed as a shepherd in historically accurate garb, beach towel, pillowcase, and broom handle at the Mount Carmel Elementary uh, Christmas pageant over 50 years ago. Uh, it's Linus's speech that rings a bell from Charlie Brown Christmas. This is the, the meaning of Christmas passage, right? Um, I still hear it in King James, but every time I hear it, it just, it takes me back to that special moment where I learned 20 verses of Scripture as a six-year-old and recited them in front of my parents and, and all these grown-ups I didn't know. And my fellow shepherd, Jeff Nicholson, you don't know him, but Jeff Nicholson, my fellow shepherd, leaned upon his broom handle and actually managed to go to sleep <laughs> and fall off the stage just as I ended the, just as I ended the reading. He fell just like dead, boom, just fell right off the stage, signaling the future of my public speaking career. Uh, this story for me, it kind of it ties in with so many just traditions that are stories. They're part of what Christmas is, at least for me and my family. A lot of that is, you know, reading things like the Christmas Carol and seeing movie versions of Christmas Carol and arguing over which version is best. In my family, we're quite passionately committed to um, Michael Caine's uh, performance in The Muppet Christmas Carol as uh, the best telling of the story, but also stories like It's a Wonderful Life and Elf. I mean, you've probably, have, you've probably already started, right, on some of these stories, if you're like us. Maybe you have, don't have enough time for these kind of things. Um, one of our traditions happens right on Christmas Eve. Our family, I don't know what you do, but our family orders uh, Indian takeout, and we watch Die Hard, which is, it is a Christmas movie. I'll just tell you that. Uh, now, 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 all those stories aren't equally important in terms of what they, what they speak or, or say to us, but if you think about it, if you think about that moment when the lights drop and Linus reads, you know, recites like me, Luke 2. He doesn't do the whole 20 verses, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Recites Luke 2. Or when George Bailey decides it's time to pray, and he finds Zuzu's petals in his pocket, right? And he realizes that life is wonderful. What is it? What is it that is happening in those moments when, uh, when Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up and realizes that he has a chance to love and he's kind to the Cratchits, and Tiny Tim does not die. Is that, is that just sentimentality? Is that, I mean, 
it's a fair question. Is that all any of this is? I would push it a bit to say, I don't think it's sentiment. It can be sentimentality. Oh, it can be. Um, if I, I'm happy to say I've never watched the Hallmark Channel, but I understand there's a lot of sentimentality happening over there. Sorry if you work for the Hallmark Channel. But, uh, but no, it is actually sentiment. Sentiment is the manifestation of a higher, refined feeling rooted in thought. I think Christmas confronts our God-given hunger for a new world. It confronts our hunger for a place where things are as they are meant to be, where we are meant to be, where, where we're actually at home. We read the story of angels singing of peace, but the fact is, in all of our stories, we find ways to sing and long for peace as well, because somewhere deep within, it's, it's what we long for. Literary critics from Matthew Arnold to T.S. Eliot, C.S. Lewis, will often talk about a concept. It's a, there's a German word for it, Sehnsucht, which means longing. Just de- in literature, in the arts, this, this deep, deep, bittersweet longing we have for something to be true. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, it's the inconsolable longing in the heart for we know not what. I think the invitation of Christmas is to actually move from that sentiment, that longing. The invitation is to look to seeing. Did you notice that in the story, the shepherds They have this pretty powerful experience (laughs) where a heavenly dimension opens up. There are beings on the other side who are just totally beside themselves over what's going on. They're losing it. They're totally excited. The shepherds, not a typical night for them. They take this in, and they're told there'll be a sign for you. And it's this baby in in a feed trough. And they decide to go. I don't, I don't think that's just curiosity. I think that is deep longing. Deep longing turned into faith and action. And you see that, start, that kind of seeing starts happening if you follow the whole Luke story. You'll see there's an old man named Simeon in the temple. And God, through the Spirit of God, just allows him to know that the baby who's being brought in to be dedicated is the Messiah. And there, kind of, you know, inappropriately makes a scene. And the old man says, I can die now. (laughs) I've seen the Messiah. I've seen the salvation. And if that's not enough, there's an old woman who does the same thing, an 84-year-old prophet named Anna. And she comes into the room and she says, essentially, she doesn't want to die, I don't think, <laughs> but she says, he, Simeon's ready to go, but she's the one who says, this child is for our redemption. They are beside themselves as well because they see a sign, a sign that if this story is true, it's not sentimentality, it's actually more than sentiment. It is a sign that God is, is with us now. So, 
let's test this kind of sentiment. Uh, is, is there more than sentimentality going on here? So when the shepherds went home, they had this, you know, best night ever. Heavenly choirs, Christ child, and then they go back to their fields. So the question is, do they go back to the same old life under Herod? I don't know if you know about Herod. He's part of the story as well. Herod is an uh, unhinged monster. Imagine that, as someone leading your country who's unhinged. This is the idea. But this person uh, does really, really terrible things that are, uh, you know, they're not just economic. They are, we're talking about actual religious persecution and violence. Herod is the one who will go on when he hears the news about this child will slaughter all the children, all the male children in the town of Bethlehem. It's a, it's a horrible, horrible story and a horrible man. This is, this is yet to come after Christmas, right? Uh, do they go back to that same reality that they, le <laughs> that they left before the birth? Or has somehow the human story begun a new arc that very night? And I ask that question about them because really, it is the question for you and me. When we go home tonight, do we, are we really just living in the same old reality that's always been human history where we shouldn't be surprised at the headlines that depress us? Or is there something in this story that points us to something we long for and actually we long for it because we know it must be. That the arc of the human story, the arc of the story has turned. Well, I wouldn't be here talking to you if I didn't think that's what happened 2,000 years ago. If I didn't think there was actually a new reality at work, life by life, through the presence, through the teachings, the example, and the actual working of the living Jesus Christ. But maybe that seems a bit much for you still. I'll just say this. It is a new, it's a new beginning. It's something we can see, but only as a sign. There was a fascinating piece uh, in the Washington Post this week by Kate Bowler, who's a theologian. She teaches at Duke Divinity School. She uh, very seriously ill with cancer, and she's been writing about her experience uh, in, a, in a very, just a really powerful way. She says that Christmas is what she calls a delicate season. She says, a baby is born who is somehow God, and he will save the world, but first he will be crucified and leave us. And we'll only see glimpses of any evidence that he was here at all. We are asked to live on the cutting edge of hope, mindful that we teeter between delusion and despair. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I actually think that's the invitation of Christmas. It is actually to be able 
to believe that a soul-sucking job or debt or an intractable relational conflict or a catastrophic diagnosis is not the last word because Christ has been born and what has begun there is the sign of the future. Christmas is an invitation to take your longing seriously. As seriously as you do your suffering or your pain and to see the sign of that high drama of heaven, something we can't see what the shepherds did, but the, but the proposal that there, there are interdimensional beings losing it with joy <laughs> over what God is doing in Jesus Christ, saying that your pain, your fear, your broken heart, none of that is the last word. You are loved. We are loved. And we can choose to live in hope. And that is a Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for coming near to our longing hearts. Give us eyes to see the signs of your presence and trust in your promises. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.